Hate to do this, Mr. Producer, but we are going to have to talk about the debate last night. Uh, Mr. Producer says he did not even watch it. Um, I'm there usually, was a debate? Yeah, that's funny. Um, I'm usually in that camp. I I couldn't make it the whole two hours. I did make it about one and one half hours, which is pretty amazing. Um, it was, uh, you know, it's weird. If it wasn't so dangerous, potentially dangerous, um, it would be kind of interesting and funny and entertaining. And it was kind of all those things. But um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm one of those guys, and I've heard a few people, but not a lot, that it, as woeful as these candidates are and as powerful as um, Donald Trump seems to be as a candidate and as a uh, formidable opponent to any of these guys in November um, – I'm one of those guys that anything can happen when a country is 50-50 like this or 52-48. And um, so that that tempers my, um, you know, uh, jocularity, if you will, when I'm watching one of these things. I know people have debate parties and they they do shots and they throw wings at the television and they laugh and, and uh, look at those Democrat fools and all this stuff. And yeah. yeah. I, I can't get that excited or that that um, loose about it, if you will, because you know I, I I'm always looking at things a little bit differently than other people, and the things that are being forwarded on the debate stage are, are pretty amazing and breathtaking. And if you're a conservative or a, a Christian or a faith based voter, you you could very easily just focus on <clears throat> the substance of, of what's being said and how offensive it may be to you and your family or your ideals. However, I, I you, and, and it offends me as well, but I, I kind of go past that. And I, I, I ask the, the, the macro question, like how in the world did we get here? And the, the ease with which people are speaking the way they are in a public forum and the lack of outrage um, by people listening to them, and and furthermore, the cheering. Um, you know, we did it on this show. You, you don't have to go too far back to uh, to hear the the chilling claps and cheers and calls um, when they uh, the legislative victory in the uh, in the the state house in New York when they put their stamp of approval on not late-term abortion, but infanticide when a child is born, mom um, does not want the child. Um, sanctioned killing of the child uh, was made legal in the state of New York. Now, as horrible and, and awful and as chilling as that is, and it makes the Lord weep, um, I don't know how much worse you can get, but you can get worse, and that is cheering for that and clapping for that. And and the stuff I saw last night, although very interesting and sometimes funny and disturbing, um, it, it, where I was really pausing and, and really taking a gigantic step back was, how, how did we get to this level where people with a straight face could get up there and say these things without any embarrassment whatsoever, and not only no embarrassment, but just with bravado. And I think the, the there's there's a lot of answers to that. Um, some of the the obvious ones are 
you know, uh, from the beginning of time, back in biblical times, people um, had, you know, evil in their heart or bad ideas or they were lazy or they were apathetic or undisciplined or many of the things that we should not be. However, as a culture, particularly here in the United States, we've always had some degree of morality, decency, common sense, um, regardless of uh, party affiliation. Um, my dad, God rest his soul, was a Democrat, big union um, thug. And uh, I, I say that lovingly, dad. But um, he, he, would, he would have absolutely 20% in common with the Democrat Party today. And he, he wasn't that old. I mean, he, he died probably about 20 years ago. But, um, you know, so he, he was a big union guy in the 70s and 80s and uh, 60s, 70s and 80s. So, um, but things have slid off the table. And, and I think when you have numbers and it, it, as crazy as it, or disturbing as you think these folks are, they have numbers and um, the numbers are probably not as high as the media would like you to believe, but they're certainly not low enough to poo-poo because, it, you know, in my estimation, if if 30% of the electorate out there gives a resounding thumbs up to most of the stuff that I heard on the stage, even though that that is certainly not a plurality and it's not going to get any of these people elected, it's still really kind of disturbing that our fellow citizens, be they Democrat, independent, Republican, whatever, um, have really not a, a big problem with a lot of the stuff that we heard last night. And, um, you know, that's where I've um, <clears throat> been preaching my whole career on the radio, basically. Just, you know, we have to get past the Republican good, Democrat bad. Um, these guys are evil. We're good. We're going to heaven. They're not. Uh, we have to have compassion for and understanding for the people that, at least in my opinion, are so profoundly misguided. We we got to try to understand why do they think that way? How do they? Th and, and oftentimes, and this is the, the heartening part of this, oftentimes they just don't know any better. Uh, I... I um, I was interviewed by uh, somebody at a college the other day. It was um, it was a report that the person was doing, and the uh, professor charged them to uh, find somebody that had some opinions on healthcare. And I have quite a number of opinions on healthcare. So this um, this individual um, chose to interview me, and and through the course of, of an hour and fifteen minutes of talking to this gentleman. Um, very conservative Christian guy, um, I enlightened him on many, many things that he had no idea um, were, were going on in healthcare, some of the more nefarious uh, things behind socialized medicine. And, and, and this is a conservative Christian guy. So think of your average schlub that's a young person that's just a, I just want to get through college and get a good job and find a husband or wife or do all the things that we do as young people. And, you know, Bernie comes along and puts a nice happy face on, on this socialism. And we'll, we'll get to what all these guys and gals said last night. Um, I, I will, I will jump ahead of myself a little bit and say that I don't think Michael Bloomberg did as poorly as a lot of people um, say he did. And you could look at that two ways. You know, people on the right said he 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 did terribly. 
a lot of people in the left-leaning media said he did terribly. So one could, in my opinion, erroneously conclude that he must have done terribly. But I think um, I think there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, and I don't think Michael Bloomberg did as awfully as as a lot of people th- think. But he had a couple of really great moments toward the end of the. Uh, debate where he woke up and we uh, will get to those. I want to kind of try to take the debate chronologically. But, um, you know, if, if he did more of that, and he may do more of that if he is in subsequent debates, um, or, you know, gets gets past um, these four uh, or five opponents that he has, he's not on the ballot in Nevada. And he, um, he will be in South Carolina, I, I, I believe. But, um, I said this a few shows ago, you know, Rudy tried a few years ago to pick and choose where he was going to go and um, when he was going to jump into the race. And he he blew off the first three contests, or three or four contests, and jumped in in Florida. And it's really putting all your eggs in one basket. What he really needed to do then is win Florida, and he probably would have got some momentum, but he did not. And he fizzled. So it, it is a calculated error doing what Bloomberg is doing, jumping in so late here. But I, I think common sense would tell you that the motivation is because he's got a lot of money and he's a, he's an egomaniac, and most of them are. But you know, no small um, factor in this is how really mediocre at best and probably poor is more of a, a apt statement that these these other five individuals are that are kind of left standing in the Democrat party. They're really they're really pretty bad and um nobody's overly inspiring and I was thinking, you know, if, if you could kind of each one of them has a little something something that if you could make an amalgamation of a candidate, you might have somebody that could beat Donald Trump, but they all have such glaring problems with the general electorate that um, it is probably a safe bet that Donald Trump is going to win in November. Um, I'm not going to say that's a slam dunk, but a lot of people will. But um, if you're a Democrat and you looked at what happened last night, you you can't be overly inspired. Um, Excuse me, took a little tea break there. Um, So let me just, you know, I could either... Look at the the um, the candidates and go one by one. I, I would rather do it the easier way for me. I just um, hunkered down and from the start of the debate until I couldn't take it anymore. <clears throat> I um, I just took notes. So these are just chronological observations. Um, we'll jump back and forth uh, with the candidates and some of the things they said and didn't say. But I, I'll just take it from the top. Um, you know, right at the the get go, Warren seemed to be just going after Bloomberg, which is not all that unusual. Um, you know, when we speak of Elizabeth Warren, if if her policies are not chilling enough, um, I, I really think her biggest problem is not her policies because she does have a penchant to say different things to different people, uh, backtrack, equivocate. Some would say lie. Uh, so she she does seem quite adept at at those things, uh, and I don't think that's her ultimate Achilles heel. But I but I do think her shrillness 
And it, it really seemed that with every single breath she took last night, uh, her hands were moving, she was gyrating, she was shaking. And I, I get it. You got to have juice. You can't be a dud. And that was that was kind of the knock on uh, on Bloomberg, that he just sat there and absorbed a lot of blows. And he really didn't um, – it, it almost translated to many as just arrogant, like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here with these idiots, but um, – I'll let them kind of just kill each other or, or say whatever they need to to me, and I won't say too much. And and oddly enough, that's not the worst strategy in the world when you're when you've said some of the things that Michael Bloomberg has said, and you have a personality such as he has. But the trouble with that is that style comes dangerously close to just you know, being a lump up there. So back to Elizabeth Warren, she seemed with with every point, she seemed to make it sound like the world as we knew it was going to end in five seconds if everybody didn't drop, listen to what she was saying and just implement whatever policy immediately. The, the, the shrillness, the urgency, the panic, um, either real or made up or implied or whatever was just to me and I'm I'm not a democrat so I wouldn't know or care but seemed to be extraordinarily off-putting she it, it, did she have a lot of really good zingers and a lot of pointed questions from Michael Bloomberg which I think uh whoever you want to win I, I think it's always good that whomever wants to be president or whatever uh office you're running for has to be tested and ha if they've done something wrong or their policy is is in question i think it's always good that their feet are held to the fire and she certainly said some things last night that were just absolutely pointed um to michael bloomberg and he did not respond very well at all um and we'll get to this a little later i i, I think if bernie sanders was challenged by more people. Um, I think even those aforementioned young people that are too busy doing many other things would start to understand that his policies are absolutely whacked. They're dangerous. They're just, if you're a Christian young person, they're absolutely antithetical to biblical principles. Um, you know, we did this a few shows ago, but, uh, you know, Bernie, he would want Job to pay his fair share. And, uh, you know, at, at, at the end of uh, Job, um, you know, if, if Bernie had his way, instead of the Lord blessing Job double for his troubles, Bernie would want him to divide it all and piecemeal it out to every human being on the face of the earth equally. And so um, uh, the original billionaire, which is probably Job, would have um, would not be someone Bernie Sanders would be a big fan of. And, and as we say, as the Bible says, the Lord um, was indeed a big fan of Job and, and blessed Job wildly. But I digress. Um, so yeah, she, she was pretty animated. But I think what's really telling, and I, I don't really know the concrete answer to this other than you know, the, the hackneyed um, theory that everybody puts out about certain people on the stage when they don't go after one um, uh, candidate or another, they seem to think, well, I'm, I'm going to handle this candidate with kid gloves, not go after them because lo and behold, if they become the nominee, they're going to need a running mate and they're going to remember 
who tried to cut them off and, and crack their knees and who was polite to them. So uh, saying that, uh, she does not go after Bernie Sanders in any way, shape, manner, or form. Now, you could you could say it's because their policies are all so similar or both so similar, and, and there would be some truth to that. But in reality, you know, they are competitors at some point in time. If it gets down to even a, a, a smaller group of individuals, you would think, um, you know, if he's one and she's two or whatever, she would do that. And, and, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe she knows in her heart she's, she's at, you know, a couple months ago, she was either one or two and, and she's dropped precipitously in the polls. So maybe that is one of the reasons she she just she does not challenge Bernie Sanders on absolutely anything, and it's almost so glaring that it's um, that it's just it's obvious. So, um, but Buttigieg, we can move on to him. Um, he, he, you know, it's funny. The first thing I I noticed about him was, you know, you're you're on the public stage. I was just telling Mr. Producer this evidently was one of the most. Um, one of the highest rated, well, the highest rated Democrat debate of all time, 20 million viewers on TV, 13 on the internet for a total of 33 million. Um, and I, I think that was largely because people wanted to see what Michael Bloomberg was going to do. But Buttigieg, the first thing I noticed about him was, um, you know, what's the scruff on his face? He's He's got like a, a three or four day mustache, can't grow much beard, but he's got a little of that going. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know, is that like for the hipster crowd and the young, the young people that he, he wants to look cool? He, he, he's, he's a good looking guy, dresses very well. But as, as I'm starting to think about it, look at the people you have on stage. Uh, Bloomberg's pushing 80, Bernie's pushing 80. Um, Elizabeth Warren's in her mid seventies. Joe Biden's pushing eighty. There's four people right now that are, you know, knocking at the door of being octogenarians, which is pretty amazing. And I'm not slamming old people or anything. I'm just making an observation. And and you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he's young and youthful, but he he's looking too young and youthful and 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 boyish. And maybe the whiskers add four or five years to him. I, I was thinking maybe he wants to look a little a little tougher, a little more seasoned. I, I don't know. You know, maybe if if he has if he's clean shaven in, instead of however old he is, I think he's late thirties, you know, maybe he looks like twenty three or something. So that's why he's doing it. But that that was very ob, you know obvious to me. But he had a lot of great lines. Um during the night, one of which was uh, he put forward the comment, I'm actually a Democrat. And, you know, what's funny is that is a focus group, focus tested type of a comment, because if you're looking at the electorate and you're looking at Democrats that are between the ages of 60 and 80, and, and there's a fair amount of them that do vote and can definitely turn elections. Um, that's an appealing comment to them because categorically, these individuals are certainly not radical leftists in the in the vein that many, um, you know, Bernie Sanders type people uh, are these days. And and the uh, some of the things that we see on the news as far as people just burning it down, if you will, excuse the pun. Um, 
So when he makes the comment, I'm actually a Democrat, um, it, it, it's kind of a, a, a well-positioned comment. Um, much like most of the stuff on stage last night, it certainly is not factual because his policies are are quite to the left of any quintessential Reagan Democrat or old school Democrat, if you will. But certainly he's trying as well as he can. And Bloomberg alluded to this um, throughout the evening as well. The, the polarizing, left-leaning, unabashedly socialist nature of a fair amount of the folks on stage is something that even in this day and age when many people think the world's going to hell in a handbasket, it still is not as wildly popular as people um, purport that it is. And I think he is positioning himself as I'm, I'm reasoned. I'm a, I'm a young guy. I'm not whacked. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm down with some of the, 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 the social rhetoric that you, anybody would have in a prime, a Democrat primary, but, um, I'm actually a Democrat. So he says, and, and, you know, there's some truth to that in the respect that, um, as far as the rhetoric that he uses, he, he speaks very well. He's very poised. He's very calculated. And in a, and I think Bloomberg tried to do that a little bit last night. Um, but Buttigieg does it much better. I, I think when you have Elizabeth Warren going nuts and Bernie just always angry at every single human being, it seems that, that has ever walked the face of the earth. And then Biden just, just please, you know, somebody call on me. And, and, and when he gets called on, he just, you know, pukes out this incoherent babble and it's loud and crazy and, and kind of humorous, but frightening. And, 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 and Buttigieg sees all that and says, you know, I'm going to be the candidate that's like mild mannered, tempered, if you will. And I think he does that pretty well. So I thought that comment, I'm actually a Democrat worked for him. Um, you know, I'm not one of those guys that, um, beats up on Joe Biden for misspeaking and his age and all that. Cause that can happen to anybody at any age. Um, you know, but he, he did seem, uh, you know, love him or hate him. He brings it and he knows that he's, you know, fourth place and, and sinking fast, but he also knows that he does have some infrastructure and some support in some of these States, particularly on super Tuesday. And, you know, a lot of people write him off as doddering and, and rambling for a coherent thought and all that stuff. I don't, I don't go that far necessarily, but he, he was bringing it last night. Um, whatever the it was that he was bringing could, could be wildly up, uh, for debate. But, um, you know, he was bringing it and, and the moderators were interesting. You know, I, I think it's better when they don't insert themselves in their personalities, but they, they were certainly trying to bait, you know, certain candidates into getting in tussles with other candidates. And uh, they, they really baited Elizabeth Warren to go after Bernie. And as I said a little earlier, she just didn't take the bait. She, she will not trash Bernie Sanders. Um, I noticed very early on, and it changed a little bit throughout the debate, that Bloomberg was very stoic unrattled. Um, the more vitriolic everybody was, the more calm he seemed to be. And 
today and the armchair quarterbacking and and hindsight being 2020 a lot of people said he was a lump he should have gone after people more and he kind of warmed up toward the end of the big but but i'm i'm thinking he was kind of crazy like a fox or stupid like a fox i should say and if people are losing their minds and and you really don't have strong defenses for some of the outlandish things that the guy has said that do not correlate with who he purports to be and some of the outlandish dictatorial policies that he's had in um, in New York, um, it, it, it may not be that bad of a strategy to just sit back and let people just um, go crazy and, and try to just knock you off your box. I don't think he was on a box last night, but he will be soon enough if he debates Trump. But, um, you know, he, he seemed to be stoic and unrattled in the beginning. But other people could very, very easily look at that and say, the guy's a pompous billionaire and he, 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 he looks at these other individuals and, and his constituents for that matter in a condescending fashion. And I, I think you could forward, you know, persuasive arguments for both of those schools of thought. Um, so. Yeah, let me let me go on to some other notes that I took here. Um, Klobuchar got in a little trouble, um, and again, that goes back to what I was saying before. I hate it when the um, I think it's good when the moderators step on toes, try to get the the combatants, if you will, to mix it up. But when they insert themselves into the the shtick a little bit too much. Um, I think it becomes problematic. And there was a moderator there last night that rightly asked the question to Amy Klobuchar, um, like, you didn't even know the name of the president of Mexico, yet um, you know, want to be president of the United States, uh, leader of the free world. That is a very valid question. Um, you know, uh, George Bush, they always tried to trip him up and ask him the uh, – the, uh, who the president of some obscure third world country was and he failed, but most people would. And so he's got to waste his time being coached on the presidents or dictators or prime ministers of 167 countries, which is quite ridiculous. But anyway, Mexico's a big deal and you really probably should know who that president was. Um, I think Buttigieg again, and I, from what I understand, there's no love lost between the two of them, and I think that kind of makes sense too. If if they're not going to be president, but they want to be vice president, then again, they're competitors. Um, in that respect, he ate her lunch for not knowing who the president of Mexico was, to the point where she really was. You know, she was making a, again a valid point that she she had a brain fart, if you will, or she misspoke, or just you know wasn't on top of her game. And, and Elizabeth Warren ran to her defense later in the uh, in the debate, but she was so lost and groping for answers as to why she did not know the president of Mexico's name that um, it kind of got to the point where she got very rattled and flustered and turned to Mr. Buttigieg and said, are, are you, do you think I'm dumb? Um, 
it would have been kind of exciting if he said, yeah, I, I kind of do. You know, you really, you really should know who the president of Mexico is. But he didn't do that. He, um, for Pete Buttigieg and all of the things and the policies that go with him that are just terrible, um, on, on so many fronts, he, he is a, a, a respectful, polite, wordsmithing individual. And, and those qualities are, are, are things that are pretty good and pretty necessary, if you ask me, to be on the stage. So don't agree with what comes out of his mouth nine tenths of the time, but, um, the way he does it and the way he delivers it is, is pretty good. And he got the best of her. Um, you know, I, I was actually interested in the, in, in the dynamic up until I, I went to go get something to eat when they started talking about the climate crisis. Um, um, I'm telling you, I, I don't know. I, I, again, they're in a Democrat primary. They have to do what they have to do to get as many votes as they need to to win. I get it. And I get that certain issues are <clears throat> more relevant or important to some voters than other voters. But the the moderator, who was a local guy, said um, – Okay, everybody's concerned about it and and we you know we know this is an urgent issue. Well, they're not. The polls ca uh, historically since the beginning of time since the climate crisis, global warming, whatever you want to call it was um made into an issue by a lot of folks. The polls consistently to this day, the year 2020, Nobody cares about it. They they just do not. And as as much as they try to beat the drum, look at uh, projections rather than actual numbers. I, I I saw, and you guys could uh, look it up. There was a great YouTube video of um, Ted Cruz eating the lunch of um, individuals trying to uh, uh, foment uh, the the climate crisis, and they were talking about computer models and uh, projections and um, and he hit them with facts and actual things that were going on right now rather than any computer models or projections it was pretty fascinating you can google that find that pretty easily but in a general election nobody is is all that concerned about if it's getting warmer or if the climate's changing or we we have more hurricanes here or there they're just not so, um, and the reason I, I park on this and bring a, a, put a little time into this is, um, history repeats itself, right? Ladies and gentlemen. And, and, um, when Hillary Clinton did not take Donald Trump seriously and she did not take campaigning in certain Rust Belt states seriously, she made really dumb statements like she was going to put the coal industry out of business. Barack Obama has said that. And they did it again last night. They went after big coal and they went after fracking and they went after it hard. And again, I, I get the need to prove your credibility that you're down with climate crisis and you're better than everybody else because you're buying um, carbon credits to offset the fact that you jet around in a polluting plane, Bernie Sanders. Um, 
I get it. But you know something? These these primaries are happening fast. And there are Democrats in states like Virginia and here in Pennsylvania that if if you start talking about um, shutting down coal plants or or shutting down fracking, um, even the the Democrats in this state are not that stupid. The the politicians to to get an uh, you know out in, in front of this and say that they they want to destroy fracking. They know what it's done to the economy in Pennsylvania, and. I think that's a challenge. I, I, I know you got to say that, you know, it's a crisis and we got to address it. But there are a few states that are very critical states that coal is is very important to them. And if you, you start telling people that you're going to shut their business down, those are the people that voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and will certainly come out for him again in 2020. Um so, uh, one thing I, I will kind of try to put the end on the, the climate change thing here. One thing, though, that Joe Biden did say, which is true, um, take take climate crisis, climate change, global warming out of the equation. It is a fact that companies do pollute rivers in the air and this and that and the other. And that that is not an issue that should be, um, you know... Uh, a home run for Republicans or Democrats. We should all be pretty concerned with that. And he did say minorities are indeed uh, hurt more by environmental pollutants than um, than other uh, socio socioeconomic groups. Poor black people, poor Hispanic people, they simply are because companies do get away with doing things. And if they did it in rich white neighborhoods, um, something would be done about it. And when they do it in poor black neighborhoods, nobody really gives a crap. Now, that that's something that you can say and agree with your friends on the left about without giving credence to a lot of the other um, climate uh, crisis um, stories that are out there that are just untrue. Um, but I, that is a true statement that my, minorities and poor people are disproportionately affected when people don't really give a crap about the surroundings in which those people live. Um, it, it's funny, um, Biden, I don't think it was Biden, I don't know who it was that said when they were talking about global warming, um, I'm trying to think of who it was. They said, we're going to convince the Chinese um, that what they're doing, their people are going to die just like our people are going to die. Maybe Elizabeth Warren said it. Um, does anybody that understands the basic tenets of foreign policy believe or communist red, communist red China that the Chinese really care if their people are going to die of, of pollutants? Um, they, they really don't. We're, we're the human rights, um, country in the world, even though we, we are pilloried for not being that. And when one of them, and I think it was Warren, said that um, we're going to, or maybe it was Biden, that we're going to convince the Chinese that their people are going to die just like our people. So it's 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 of mutual benefit to uh, to ratchet down the pollutants or, or, you know, check our carbon footprint, if it will. That's that's one of the the hoaxes about this whole thing, you know. The, these these um, 
these people come to the United States and protest and this and that and the other. They don't go to China. They don't go to India. The, these places, they don't give a, a care about the the um, the environment, the rivers, the lakes, the the the, the air, nothing. And yet everybody wants big bad um, United States of America to to sign off on on these um, nonsensical treaties that would just destroy our economy when other people that we compete with on the global stage don't share our values as far as um, you know the environment or how that impacts their citizens. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, I have a big problem with um, Elizabeth Warren. Um, <clears throat> we'll go into the, um, I think now, because our audience is is big and we, not everybody's a Christian, not everybody's a faith-based voter, but a lot of people are. Um, coming at this from a faith-based voter standpoint, I have a, just an enormous problem, obviously, with everybody on the stage, but... I, I really have a, a huge problem with Elizabeth Warren um, and it's it's with the abortion thing. You know, she at, at any point in time when she wants to make a political point, political, hey, get some political traction in the polls, if you will, um, she talks as it, as it pertains here to global warming about environmental justice and, and she went into the it's for the children. And we've all heard anytime you want to forward a notion, good or bad, stick a kid out in front of your cause and people will be sympathetic to it. And if it's a bad cause, you can certainly kick it pretty far down the road if you say it's quote unquote for the children. But when Elizabeth Warren gets up there in her shaking, gyrating, uber passionate way, and talks about um, African-American kids that are subjected to environmental pollutants, which we should all be concerned about, and then doesn't give a rat's ass about um, the millions of aborted black babies since the mid-70s. The, the, the um, black people have been disproportionately affected by the scourge of abortion more than any other group in the United States of America. And for her to be someone that's not only a proponent of abortion and late-term abortion, but infanticide, which is you have the baby, you, you try to abort the baby, the baby's coming, baby gets born, eh, I don't want the baby. And when healthcare providers, think of that word, healthcare provider, are ordered by the state, to stand down, put a kid in a closet. It happens. It has happened. It continues to happen. Put a put the child over on a tray in the birthing suite or the OR and just do not render any type of care to that baby. How can you stand up in a public forum and and say that you care about environmental justice for Hispanic kids or black kids when you really don't care at all about how many African-American babies or minority babies in, in general have been slaughtered um, throughout the years. It, it really rubs me the wrong way um, 
And, and the, the, you know, I'm, I'm all about consistency and I try to be consistent. I don't always achieve that, but I'm not running for anything, but you know, that bothered me. Joe Biden last night when, when somebody let him speak, um, and he, he started to go a little crazy and knew that his opportunity to speak might not come again. Um, he started talking about greed now, now how, and again, Joe Biden has either a gene or some type of disorder or something that allows him to wade into areas where he knows nothing about or has no shame about with the confidence of a lion. Now, that is something that most people, I don't care if you're on the left or right, do not possess. And Joe Biden certainly possesses it and he is the poster boy for it. So on the one hand, Joe Biden lecturing us about greed is is thoroughly consistent with who Joe Biden is and, and what his personality is and what his makeup is. However, it is no less offensive just because he does it. He, his son, his brother are, are at, are, have always been at the forefront of some of the greediest Ponzi schemes, shady deals, um, graft, kickback, whatever you want to call it, we could we could throw out 20 more names. For time and memoriam, the guy has been in the Senate for a billion years, and he and his family members have been so enriched, and not just enriched, but it, you know, you, you, you want to talk about greed. Um, these people, the Clintons included, they love money more than any right-wing Republican on Wall Street loves money. And for Joe Biden to sit up there, particularly with him being on tape, all the Hunter Biden stuff that's come out, and, and talk about greed is just, I don't know, it's offensive to me. And it's concerning that it's not overly con uh, offensive to a lot of other people. I think it should be offensive to everybody, but... It, it isn't, it, and, and the selective outrage that we see, and we're, we're going to get to Pete Buttigieg toward the end of the show about his selective outrage as it pertains to um, the Word of God and, and Christianity, and we've done this before, but it, it, it does bear repeating, but we'll get to that toward the end of the show. But, um, you know, I, I think it was interesting as we progress here, uh, and, and I'm, if you're just joining us, I'm just going through my observations of the debate chronologically, I'm not doing it candidate by candidate. I'm just, as the night unfurled, I just wrote notes uh, in, a, in a running, you know, form here. Um, the moderators were not really calling on Bloomberg that much. Um, and again, you know, some people today, armchair quarterbacking, um, say, you know, he could have inserted himself in a little bit more and defended himself a little bit more. But I think he took the the approach. He can't look bad if he doesn't talk. And that was probably a smart thing to do because when he did talk a fair amount of the time, many of the things he said and done are, are clearly indefensible. And lover or hater, Warren was really painting him into a box, kind of making him ask answer questions. Um, and and he his silence when it came to those moments borderlined 
into the area of I'm not looking so good here. So I know he wanted to kind of keep quiet and let everybody just kind of, you know, get it all out of your system. And that's all well and good. But when she started really slapping him around and and the whole evening kind of showed a spotlight on him and said, you know, Mayor Bloomberg, what do you have to say about that? He didn't do all that well um, a fair amount of the time. So um, anyway, let's let's go on to Bloomberg here. Um, let me see. Never answered. Oh, yeah. Um, when she was kind of slapping him around, <clears throat> talking about um, stop and frisk, which we said on the show last week, it's just a terrible, um, unconstitutional, terrible thing. If you're on the right or left, Republican or Democrat, lover of the Constitution, stop and frisk is just is just a terrible thing, indefensible. Um, his defense of that was pretty incoherent, and it was not good. Um, she also kind of held his feet to the fire with the um, sexual harassment type allegations and uh, um, um, workplace um, environments that were not conducive um, or not good for women. And, and he looked pretty bad on that as well. His answers, I mean, he, he, he never really addressed the questions Yet he apologized for, you know, his statements in general. But they, they ask him, I'm not going to repeat it because some of them were pretty gross, but they ask him some pretty pointed questions about things that have happened. And he never really addressed it. He, he just did not answer it, although he did in a, in a general broad brush way tried to apologize. And he did the same for stop and frisk. And it, it just it wasn't working. Um the one area that he really got into trouble was he has um, he has uh, entered into non-disclosure agreements with many women over the years, basically, and Donald Trump has for that matter. So if you want to be fair here, um, basically, you don't say anything. I don't say anything. I don't know what type of money changes hands in those non-disclosure type of agreements. But when they happen and when the ink dries on those things, they are what they are. So as egregious as you may feel that um, some of his infractions are and, and that he's, let's just use old school terminology if you think he's a pig with women, um, and it, please don't misunderstand this. I'm, I'm sensitive to anyone that is sexually harassed or in a, in a workplace environment that is not good. But these women entered into these agreements. They are agreements. They are legally binding agreements. And as much as his answer was not really well received by anybody, um, he really had no other answer. He, he said these are these are agreements that these women willfully, knowingly um, entered into. And I, I would presume some degree of money changed hands, settlement, if you will. And then the two parties agree not to publicly discuss it. There's not much you can do about that. And, and he was being berated by Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren here tonight on on television in front of millions of Americans, will you release these women from these agreements? 
And again, he, he was in a tough spot and quite honestly, he probably should be in a tough spot. I don't have any non-disclosure agreements with anybody. The average human being does not. But so he, he made his own bed. He's got a lie in it. Excuse the pun. But for him, he really couldn't say anything other than what I just said. These women have entered into these agreements. Um, no, I'm not releasing them from any obligation that they have to keep their mouth shut. And even though that's legally what it is, again, he comes off as I'm the billionaire. I can harass as many people as I want to. I, I can't believe I'm being hassled by these questions. Just shut up. Uh, and and he, he sounds and looks like an arrogant elitist. And that might be because he is an arrogant elitist. Um, so, and, and again, with the selective outrage, I think it was very disturbing that Joe Biden, you know, and, and again, I, I let, let's, let's be nice to Joe Biden. Everybody's not. Let's be nice to him on the Reshaping America show here. Let's just say it's that whatever disorder he has where he can't connect the dots and he fearlessly wades into areas that show him to be the most colossal hypocrite that anybody could ever be. And let's just say he can't help it. But again, he went into berating Mr. Bloomberg about, you know, some of these things he's said and done. And he started beating the transparency pony talking about um, lack of transparency um, in in Bloomberg's um, history. Buttigieg was talking about um, Bernie's lack of transparency as it as it pertained to a thorough releasing of all his medical records. And you know, I'll just I'll just put the end to this one on that. Um, Joe Biden talking about transparency, you're just going to get in trouble. You, you can't talk about being transparent or lecturing somebody about being transparent. And we'll get to, hopefully, by the end of the show here, Buddha judges comments to Christians and kind of lecturing them about some things. Um, you just can't do it if you have a credibility problem with transparency, like Joe Biden and his family have had for many, many years. So we're winding it down. I'm going to try to get to... Uh, a couple of points where Bloomberg really did very, very well at the end, uh, at least the end of my watching it at the hour and a half mark. But um, I give him kudos for not um, backing down. Bernie tried to, you know, his very hackneyed, predictable, eat the rich shtick for the millionth time. And Bloomberg kind of woke up and he made one of the best comments that none of these people make and they should be making it every single debate. And I'm telling you, if Bernie Sanders does become the nominee, Donald Trump will make this point in every single debate. Bloomberg kind of grinned and smiled and said, Bernie, I think it's just comical that, and I'm paraphrasing here, that the most famous socialist in America is a millionaire with three homes. 
And that is an undeniable fact that Bernie Sanders can pontificate and puke out whatever um, crafty rhetoric he wants to for as long as the day is long, and he can't get away with that. It used to be millionaires were evil, and Bernie hid his money among many family members, but when Bernie got too big and he finally broke that million-dollar threshold, he didn't throw millionaires under the bus. He started throwing billionaires under the bus. Now, you know, he, he's a little old to, to start this money-amassing game here, but let's just say he was 48. At some point in time, he's probably going to have to stop throwing billionaires under the bus and start picking on trillionaires because he was going to become a billionaire. So I think Bloomberg, rolling his eyes, giggling a little bit, and interjecting some reality to a very bizarre fiasco last night saying, I think it's ironic that the most famous socialist is a millionaire with three homes, is something that, you know, that his opponents are going to have to do to him if they want to slow him down. Heretofore, nobody has really talked about the just profound hypocrisy of, of Bernie Sanders. And, and furthermore, you know, Bloomberg, um, you know, he, he started to go down the, uh, hey, you, you don't pay your fair taxes and middle class people pay more taxes uh, proportionally than you do. And again, Bloomberg, toward the end of the debate, woke up and said, you know, Bernie, you've had 40 years to make the tax laws. You've been you've been taking up space in the House and the Senate. You're the one that makes the tax laws. It's your fault. That is an irrefutable statement. If you have a problem with the tax laws, which Bernie Sanders certainly has, what have you been doing about it? So, you know, I, I think Bloomberg came alive. And and when he really came alive was and, – and, and this is, this is you know uh, – he he said, if we keep talking about socialism and communism, we're going to hand the election to Donald Trump. And he is absolutely correct. And and he got on his box, if you will, and 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 looked at the other five candidates. And he goes, you know, communism, socialism, it's been tried decades, centuries throughout the world. It doesn't work. That's not who we are. That's not who we're all about. And you know, he made a very accurate, poignant point. He said, I've been lucky enough to make millions, or excuse me, billions throughout my life. But you know something? I give away a ton of it, and I, I give a, away a, a real large amount of it to the Democratic Party to beat Donald Trump. So I don't feel so guilty about being rich. I've worked very hard. I've amassed wealth. I give away a lot of the wealth. And and I give away a lot of the wealth to the Democrat Party. So right then and there, that I mean, things you do not hear at a Democrat debate, maybe that will resonate with some of those older Democrats, um, conservative Democrats, if you will. I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. We are going to wind it down here. And I, I promise I will get to um, Pete Buttigieg. Unless I, uh, Mr. Producer, can I do it? I don't know. I got four minutes. Can I do it? Yeah. Thank you. He's so gracious. Um, yeah, let me, let me get to this. It's something I don't want to rush through, but I, I think it's important. This article, which I obviously have no time to read, it says, Buttigieg questions how Christians can support Trump. I cannot find 
any compatibility. Now, again, selective outrage. Um, I will agree with Mr. Buttigieg that Donald Trump has done plenty of things, said plenty of things that are not Christ-like. Um, Haven't we all, though? Oh, Mr. Producer wakes up. Haven't we all, though? He says, yes, we have. Um, all have, are, have sinned and fall oh, short man. of the glory. I knew I shouldn't have started it, guys. Anyway, um, so I agree with Mr. Buttigieg, um, and I, I always challenge Christians to not you know, take lock, stock, and barrel everything that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. However, and we'll just leave it at this. It's probably good that we're running out of time here. Mr. Buttigieg has um, obviously is um, doing some things in his personal life that I think personally Jesus would have a problem with. And that's just my take on it. And Back to where I originally started in uh, the beginning of the show, the fact that he could sit there in this day and age in the year 2020 and lecture Christians on how they shouldn't vote for Donald Trump and then kiss his husband publicly every chance he gets and, and to the point where it, it is overt and, and tell born-again evangelical Christians in this country that they really should check themselves and check their Bible is is what I term selective outrage. It's picking and choosing the verses of the Bible that you want to believe in or adhere to and simply turning a blind eye to others. And I think that's problematic. And I think that's probably a good way to end the show that don't Base your decisions on the Republican platform or the Democrat platform. Base it on the Christian platform, which is the Holy Bible. And uh, that's a good way to end it, Mr. Producer. This is Kerf Llewellyn, Reshaping America. Have a great day.